Good morning. Thank you for being here this cold, icy morning. As we return to Mark's gospel this morning, we find ourselves back in the middle of the controversy that Jesus was having with the religious leaders about their Jewish ritual purity laws. And those laws determine, in their mind, who was considered clean and qualified to come into God's presence for worship. The scribes and Pharisees, while well-meaning, became pretty over-analytical religious police when it came to the applications of God's law. I kind of can relate to that. I, my wife tells me that I sometimes overanalyze everything in our relationship. I disagree as these charts and graphs indicate. I don't think I'm over-analytical. Communication. Okay, I'm just kidding. Honey, at home, I'm just kidding. In the passage we return to today in Mark chapter 7, if you have a Bible you want to turn there, follow along, it's There's a lot here. Uh, The scribes and Pharisees call out some of Jesus' disciples for not being devout Jews because they didn't wash their hands before eating. That meant they were unclean in God's sight. We looked at the first part of this passage before Christmas where we saw Jesus' response to the religious leaders. Now as we continue, finish the passage today, we're going to listen to what Jesus teaches his disciples after that encounter, although I'm going to read the whole context. He's going to teach his disciples after that encounter about the real causes of what it means to be clean and unclean. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along as I read this passage in Mark 7, verses 1 to 23. And uh, verses 1 to 13 are what we covered last time, and I'll pick up today with 14 to 23 when we start to talk about it. Uh, Mark 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And Jesus said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is, 
given to God already, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you've handed down, and you do many things such as this. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Some scribes and Pharisees came down from Jerusalem to Galilee, self-appointed religious police where Jesus was teaching in order to watch him, to make sure he was following God's laws as a devout Jewish rabbi should. This time they observed some of Jesus' disciples weren't washing their hands before eating, which violated their so-called clean laws. So I want to just review that a bit because it's important for the context. Uh, in the Old Testament Mosaic Law, we find a number of laws that deal with what is known as ritual purity, clean laws. God was using those instructions we find in the Old Testament to help people distinguish between what was clean and what was not clean. And there's a whole theological point to that you'll see in a minute. These laws were not primarily about hygiene, although in the wisdom of God, they certainly promoted good health. Being clean biblically meant you were morally and spiritually pure before God because you followed his instructions so you could enter his presence and worship him. That's sort of meant to be clean. And these laws, these purity laws, were given as a kind of visual aid to make the point, you can't just come into God's presence without being cleansed first. He's holy. To be unclean meant you were defiled and couldn't come into his presence. Um, and there are a lot of things that could make you unclean, which we'll get to in a minute. Of course, sin will make you unclean. If a person wanted to worship and fellowship with God, they needed to be holy coming into God's presence because God is holy. This is what he said in Leviticus 11. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy because I'm holy. And this is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the clean the unclean and clean, and between the edible creature and the creature that's not being eaten. 
All those laws were just helping them to understand, you know, some things are holy, some things are not. <laughs> and uh, I want you to learn what holiness is all about. So let's start with these visual aids. Uh, and here are some examples of the clean laws we find in the Old Testament. If you ate an animal that was unclean, you know, his whole list of animals, he can, God told him these are unclean. Pig. You eat a pig, you are automatically unclean. You're defiled. You cannot come into my presence like that. If you touched anything dead, a corpse, dead animal, dead squirrel, whatever, you were unclean. You, you cannot come and worship me. If you had an infectious skin disease, leprosy, some malady in your skin, you were unclean. Don't come and worship me. Uh, if you came in contact with mold or mildew, you were unclean. If you had any kind of bodily discharge, you were unclean. Whole lists, lists, lists. Again, visual aids. There are some things in life which are good, pure, and holy, and some things that are not. Let's learn about this. Holiness. And if you were unclean, it meant that you were considered ritually impure, unfit to come before God and worship him. But in all of that, all those laws, God also told people how the unclean could become clean again. Follow my instructions. If you were defiled in any way, uh, God instructed them to wash with water. Again, a visual picture of you need to be cleansed before you come and worship me. And so that's what happened. The remedy for uncleanness was through these ritual washings in the Old Testament, which are mentioned 42 times. Instructions about ritual washings. For example, Leviticus 11 39 and 40. Also, if one of the animals dies, which you have for food, and the one who touches it, its carcass becomes unclean until evening. He too, who eats some of, the, of its carcass, shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And the one who picks up its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean till the evening. Washings of all sort were how you showed God that you were clean because you were obeying his instructions before coming into his presence, defiled. Now, what happened was, over the years, hundreds of years, uh, like some of the other Old Testament laws, the religious leaders over these years started to expand and add to them just so they make sure they're not missing anything. You know, we don't want to do that. And so one washing law was given to the priests in the Old Testament in Exodus 30 that, who were coming into God's temple to make sacrifices and worship the Lord as priests. They were told, wash your hands before you come and worship me. Let me read Exodus 30. <clears throat> you shall also, to the priests... Aaron and so on. He says, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meeting, this is where they go in to worship the Lord, and the altar. You shall put water in it. 
Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of the meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet so they won't die. It shall be a perpetual statute for them, for Aaron and his descendants throughout all their generations. Now, somewhere along the line, in those hundreds of years, the religious leaders thought it was a good idea. Hey, if it's good enough for the priests, it's good enough for everybody. Everybody wash your hands. To prove they were devout. Devout Jews. Worthy to come into God's presence. Wash your hands. Good enough for the priests. Good enough for everybody. That was the tradition of the elders handed down. This expansion of God's law wasn't even designed for the whole, all the people. It was designed for the priests. That's why Jesus is so upset. They're making it sound like this was the word of God. No, it's not. Anyway, that was the lesson last time. Um, and so as they confronted Jesus about the so-called violations of the tradition of the elders, uh, Jesus rebuked them for their hypocrisy. But here's where we start today. But Jesus wasn't finished. <clears throat> the concept, you see, of being clean and unclean, of being righteous and pure before God, accepted by God, was just too important to let it go. So he's got more to say. So Jesus actually calls the crowd back to him and gives them a parable to think about cleanness and uncleanness. In Mark 7, 14 and 15, we begin there. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying, listen to me. And this is emphatic in the text. Listen to me. You need to understand this. It's very important. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him. If it, goes in, uh, if it goes into him, things proceed out of the man. The things that proceed out of the man are what defile the man. This parable and what was intended to teach, uh, basically he's trying to get at what is the source of all our uncleanness? What's the real source of it? Is it just we're just not washing? Uh, we touch something? And so let me... Uh, before I jump into that, what's the source of our uncleanness? Lest you think the concept of uncleanness has no relevance to us modern people, let me assure you the concept is extremely relevant and it's universal. Here's what uncleanness is basically. You need to think of it like this. It's our sense of knowing we don't measure up. We don't measure up. Every person senses their own uncleanness at times. It's the feeling we get when we feel inadequate. Uh, we're, not, we're not being enough. We're not doing enough. Uncleanness is our sense of falling short of our own standards, 
other standards and ultimately God's standards. We know it. We're unclean. We feel it. And because we know we're unclean, here's the issue. Just like the Pharisees and scribes, we will do all kinds of things, go to extreme efforts sometimes to gain a sense that we're actually clean. So that we might feel accepted, qualified, right, and we're good. We're okay. We don't like being unclean. The truth is, we're gonna, most of us will take great pains to be clean. We'll rely, and this is the issue, scribes and Pharisees extended to us, we will rely on our own efforts to make ourselves feel clean. That's the spiritual theological problem, biblical problem. The opposite of the gospel. That's our default mode. We want to look good. We want to feel good about ourselves. Uh, so we will do what we can to prove we are clean. Let me give you examples. When we sit down to eat a meal, Uh, with others present, we follow manners, rules. I gotta confess, when I'm sitting down and nice meal, I don't grab a handful of mashed potatoes and throw it on my plate. No, sir, I use a spoon. I'm clean. acceptable. When we're interviewing for a job, we're going to dress up, put our best foot forward. We want to prove we're clean. <laughs> Listen to me. We go, we go through our own washings and dressing rituals every single day to make sure we're clean when seen. That's cleanness, see? We don't want to be inadequate. We'll take great efforts, great lengths to make sure we prove to ourselves and others we're clean. That's our daily default system. And there's nothing really wrong with that. This is the problem. When we try to use that with God, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, better start thinking differently about your cleanness before him because there ain't nothing you're going to do that's going to make you clean. So, back in Mark 7... 14 to 23, Jesus disagrees with the religious leaders about the source of our uncleanness. It's not in the externals 
but in the internal workings of the heart. That's what makes us clean or unclean before God. We can be clean at the dinner table for others. We could be clean on our job, make sure we do everything right. We're accepted. We can take a shower and dress up in the morning. We feel good about ourselves. We look good. But that's not going to help us in our relationship with God. The externals are important. The reason that it's, it's, not, it's not enough. It doesn't go deep enough. <clears throat> so that is what the parable that Jesus gives the crowd in Mark 7 was meant to teach us. He says, listen, listen to me, understand this. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him. If it goes into him, but the things that come out of the man are what defile him. He goes on. That's a parable. And the disciples, um, after he told this, when the crowd entered, the disciples questioned him about the parable. They're still shaking their head. Um, and uh, Jesus disagrees with the religious leaders about the source of all our uncleanness, but Jesus agrees with the religious leaders that we all are, in fact, unclean. To that total agreement. Mark 7, 20. That which proceeds out of the man, that's what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man when it comes to God. Now, i got to point out something, because Jesus doesn't qualify our uncleanness by saying something like this. You know, what proceeds out of a wicked person, that's what defiles them. Or he does not say what proceeds out of the unbeliever is defiling to him. He does not say what proceeds out of the unrighteous person. He says everybody, the man, mankind, this is true for everybody, what proceeds out of the heart, all unclean. Human beings. Jesus is saying what the Bible has been saying all along. The source of all our uncleanness before God is our own heart. Beginning in Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, man, human population, was great on earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Go to Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else, is desperately sick, corrupt. Who can understand it? 
We need help. And while Jesus agrees with the Pharisees that we're all unclean, he disagrees with them not only about the source of the uncleanness, they're thinking it's just externally, we just need to make sure we're doing the right things. No. He also disagrees with them about how to be made clean. The religious leaders believe that if you follow the purity laws that they laid down, person certainly going to be pure and clean before God. Keep that in mind. But since their focus, Jesus says, is all external, not their heart, it's never going to make them clean. Just being religious makes no one clean. Luke points this out in chapter 11 of his gospel. Another incident, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. When, the, uh, when Jesus had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was shocked. He was surprised. He's surprised that Jesus had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. What every good rabbi would do. What every devout Jew would do. What every morally, purely spiritual person would do. He's shocked. But the Lord said to him, I would not want to be on the receiving end of this comment. I really wouldn't. Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter. And they did a really good job. Looking good. You are acceptable in this town. (laughs) You do a great job cleaning the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside of you, you're full of robbery and wickedness. In order to really be clean before God, you've got to go deeper, inside, to the heart. The purity laws did teach us that we're all unfit in God's presence, all unclean. And we need to be washed. But just washing the outside will never, never, ever make us truly clean in God's sight. Then we see something uh, in Mark that he rarely does. He inserts a little commentary. He did at the beginning of the chapter, but this one... He inserts a comment about what what Jesus just said. His commentary. He's trying to say, here's what, by the way, here's what this means. Do you see this? Mark inserts this. Mark 7, 19. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now, normally we just kind of push over that. And there's been a lot of... uh, Commentators just love to explore that. What on earth is Mark saying there? Um, And several ideas are offered 
by what Jesus meant by that. Let me just give you, as I looked at everything, my opinion. I don't believe he's saying that the purity laws in the Old Testament were not valid. That would contradict what he taught in Matthew 5, that God's law will not pass away. I think what he's saying is this. Okay, Mark is trying to tell us, because Jesus is here, the purity laws have been fulfilled. (laughs) From this point on, I declare all foods clean. Here's, here's the implication. Jesus is, Mark is trying to help us to see what, what's happening. Jesus is saying what he declares clean is absolutely clean. Period. He has the authority. He's God in the flesh. If he says something's clean or somebody is clean, they're clean. And one thing can help us see this uh, is we should, it should call to mind an earlier incident we saw in Mark where Jesus healed a leper. Lepers were unclean. Why? Because they had leprosy on the outside. And uh, if you remember, the leper came, came up to Jesus, desperate, helpless, and, and said to Jesus, you know, if you're willing... You can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. Be clean. Pronouncing him clean. And his leprosy was healed. Now, the outward sign of that healing, I believe, also is indicating what Jesus says is clean, is clean inside and out. This guy, could all he had to do is go to the priest. Yep, you're okay. You're acceptable now. The outward sign just told him. This guy is clean. He can worship. He can come before God. Uh, Jesus can make us clean inside and out. There's another incident I love in the Gospel of John that I think relates to this principle of Jesus making us clean. Um, It's where Jesus points to the fact, I think, he can make us clean inside and out. In John chapter 13, and their disciples and Jesus are in the upper room uh, just before he's betrayed and uh, goes to the cross. Let me read the passage and just listen for, um, listen for the connection if you can. <clears throat> uh, then Jesus poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel. She was girded. Again, I'm, think, I'm looking at this. This is an object lesson. He's demonstrating several things in this, in this uh, event. But listen, keep listening. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said, what I do now you don't realize, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no part in me. I need to wash you. And Simon Peter said, Well, well then, uh, Lord, not just my feet, wash my whole body. <laughs> my hands, my head. 
Jesus said, okay, listen. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. He's completely clean. You're clean. I've already washed you, in other words. You had the bath. You're clean. But your feet are dirty. You're going to still walk through life, and you're going to need me to just cleanse you, confess your sin, cleanse you again. But you only need one bath. And you guys had it. You're already clean. (laughs) But not all of you. There's one of you who is not part of me that I haven't washed. For he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Oh, there's so much there. Peter resisted Jesus when he tried to wash his feet. But Jesus is giving his his disciples this visual picture of how he can wash us and make us clean inside and out. We only need a bath once. How do we do that? By believing in him for our salvation. By He's the Messiah, the Son of God. We believe in him. We're washed. We'll see in a minute. Jesus makes us clean because he took, he will take in a little instant, all our uncleanness on himself. That was the point of the cross. The scripture says he became sin. So we could be made righteous, clean, acceptable to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God, not in ourselves, in him. We're clean because of him, not us. Very important point of the gospel. And what's interesting is Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem over a garbage dump, one of the most unclean places in Judea. Unclean, cursed, forsaken by God so that we could be made clean before God and enter into his presence to worship him without any hindrance or obstacle. That's the good news. Now, when we believe in Jesus for eternal life, believe that he's the Messiah sent from God, died for our sins, he saves us and washes us clean. I just want to read these passages that really touch on this. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, Paul says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Here he's using the figure of water, washing, when the Holy Spirit came into us. He poured out on us, making us clean. 1 Corinthians 6.11, Such were some of you sinners, But you were washed, (laughs) you were sanctified, 
you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. One more. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. It's a great passage. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, and here he's talking about what they could not do in the Old Testament. You can't just come rushing into God's presence to worship. Sorry. You got to go through these rituals, go through your sacrifice, come in clean. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. Ah, there it is. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's all these references to washings that Jesus fulfilled for us. See, beginning with Adam and Eve, who after they sinned in the Garden of Eden, you know, you know what they did? They tried to cover themselves. Uh, fig leaves, give me something. I'm living in shame, guilt. Well, since then, we still have a sense of being unclean, needing to cover ourselves up. Even people like the prophet Isaiah, one of the most holy men in Israel, realized his uncleanness when he, in Isaiah 6, saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said, woe is me, I'm ruined. What he means is, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die. Uh, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Well, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Now you can come in. See? Isaiah could not make himself clean. <laughs> he couldn't do Nothing he can do. He's helpless. He's ruined. Only God was able to make him clean through the altar of sacrifice. So what's interesting to me is as I perused through history from time to time, I love reading about history, people in history. I really didn't, never had a good background in it growing up, and so I, I try to give myself an education. It's interesting, in the early 1900s, many people stopped believing in the concept of sin. Things were going fantastic, you know, the Industrial Revolution is cranking up, uh, progress everywhere, we're discovering great things, it's an amazing time. And... Many people stopped believing the concept of sin, thought people were basically good. Look at us. But after World War II, that philosophy took a huge hit. 
especially after the Holocaust in World War II, the, Br the British uh, philosopher Lord David Cecil, Cecil said this, the philosophy of human progress led us to believe that the savage and primitive ways were behind us. But it turns out, it was always within us. True statement. It's still always within us. Our default has always been, either personally or corporate, societally, has always been to look to external things to change us, to make us good, to make society better, uh, to make ourselves feel better. Externals, like we look to government, which operates outside in. That philosophy, outside in. I change the outside, everything's going to get better. Change the laws, spend more money. That's what will change human society. No, it won't. You haven't gone deep enough. We look to education. Problems education. We need to help people get more educated. Outside in. Just give people better information. A better education. They'll become better people. And as it turns out, some of the most educated people we see in the news are the most corrupt. We look to popular culture, outside in. We live in a culture of celebrity worship. We want to be like them. They have it all together. They're living the good life. They probably feel pretty good. We want to look more like them to feel better about us. They provide us a way to feel clean and accepted by being pretty or handsome or funny or good at a sport. We even look to religion outside in. Try to change us. Try to make it better. Try to make us feel better. In fact, all the world's religions and even most people in Christian churches are trying to change their life, change their circumstances outside in. What that means is if I do these things, see, if I follow the rule, if I just jump through these hoops, God will, God will look favorably upon me and things will be good. And when it doesn't work out, you feel like you're never good enough, are you? Something, something wrong with me. Because when something goes wrong, you question, hey, why did God let this happen? I was trying to be good. That's outside in living. I've got to confess, living outside in even happens to us pastors could pray for me. That, it's a real struggle for all of us. Charles Spurgeon preached in the 1800s in England. He said this to his students. He, he said, don't preach the gospel in order to save your soul. Here's what he meant. 
Don't look to your ministry to make you feel clean. Being in ministry might lead you to believe you're clean. And God should bless you after all because you're doing his work. You're doing a good work. But thinking God's acceptance of me is based on the externals that I'm doing, whatever I do, will never be enough. <laughs> you see, like anything else, real, real struggle. As a pastor, you see, if this church does well, I feel disproportionately good. Good about myself, clean before God. I, God's blessed us. And if this church doesn't do well, and people don't like me, I feel disproportionately devastated. That's outside in. Outside in thinking. That's what happens. Feeling righteous by our own efforts and not the truth of the gospel, which is all focused in Jesus. As hard as we try to make ourselves clean before God, prove to ourselves that we're a good person by external means, follow the rules, work hard, be successful, be noticed, dietary restrictions, washings, achievements, it won't work. It's never enough. It doesn't go deep enough. It never reaches the heart. I'll give you one more thing here. I think this helped me understand what Paul says in this famous verse. <clears throat> There's a lot here too. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Focus on the gospel. And he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. <clears throat> For in it, the righteousness of God, being clean before God, being okay with God, is revealed from faith. That's where it begins. And it continues to faith. Doesn't stop. Don't come to faith in Jesus, receive your righteousness, and then try to feel good about yourself by, in all the righteous things you're doing. In other words. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't lose your focus on Jesus. He's the one who's really righteous. And if I have part in him, he's made me clean. From faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Not in himself, trying to get God's favor or think he's going to bless me because of all this good stuff I'm doing. That's not a righteousness by faith. It's a righteousness by works. Opposite of the gospel. But the gospel, if you really grasp it, it's the power of God. <laughs> you live life the way God intended. To everyone who believes, present tense, not just one time and done.
continues. He is the source of all my righteousness before God. So, could I say, um, receive God's cleanness by faith in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the clean laws on our behalf. He took on cleanness on himself so that when we believe in him, we stand before God holy and clean. So there's nothing more we can do to gain uh, more acceptance from God, more love from God. It's in Christ alone. So, probably went a little long today, but <laughs> believe in him for eternal life and in your daily life to find your uh, life in a, in a life of faith in Christ is your life. Uh, it's not rooted in you, not in your externals, but Jesus in your heart stand before God without shame or hindrance. Father, we thank you today uh, for Jesus and how he died for our sins, rose again so that he might bring us um, into relationship with you, free of condemnation, guilt, shame, insecurity. We ask you to forgive us for the times we've tried to earn your love by trying to look good, while never letting you deal with the evil residing in our own hearts. We're not even sure what that evil is sometimes. Covetousness, envy, pride, uh, malice, slander, whatever it is. Help us to see it and then confess it. Uh, Father, remember David once said in the Psalms that you desire truth in our innermost being. So would you help us to please stop hiding, putting up a good show, help us to let you deal with the source of our sin in our hearts, help us to humbly receive Jesus and experience the renewal and transforming power that comes from your Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.